You are listening to the audiobook of Manimals by Mel Brooks Crow. This is episode one, part two. Viper. All right, boys. Let's go see what we've got. Hopefully a big cat of some sort. Or maybe it's a phoenix this time. Wouldn't that be nice? Now, stay behind me. You know the rules. I gotta see him first. Tick. You got it, boss. Exterior. Grove of trees, day. The three approach the grove. A small tiger cub is caught in a trap, hanging from a tree and squirming around, trying to get loose. Viper slowly approaches, pointing his big rifle at the little cat. He pokes the cat with the barrel of his gun, sending it swinging. You gotta be kidding me. A kitten? What a waste of my time. Viper sets his rifle down next to a tree and pulls the gloves out of his back pocket, putting them on. I want the big stuff. Nothing of worth for two days. I got merchants to please, you know. Viper walks up to the kitten and grabs it. The kitten growls and hisses, biting and clawing at the gloves. There is a disappointed look in the man's eyes. He gets a grip around the kitten's neck. Close up of the two mongrels smiling, showing their nasty, tobacco-stained teeth. Off screen a crack, and the kitten is silent. Viper unties the cat's lifeless corpse and throws it into the brush. Reset the trap. Let's go check the North Valley. Maybe we got something there. Extreme close up. Kitten's eye. Effects sound. Jeep driving away. A reflection of an approaching man can be seen in the eye of the dead kitten. Camera zooms back as a shadow falls over it and Donica, 30s reaches into frame and gently picks up the dead kitten. Donica. Do these men have no hearts at all? G-Gone. I'm sorry, Donica. Let me take care of the body properly. G-Gone, 25, female. Gently takes the dead cub and places it in a sack. Donica's cell phone rings and he answers it. Donica here. Exterior. Grass area near grove of trees. Day. Saburi, 35 male, is sitting in his Jeep Gladiator, parked at the top of a hill in tall grass, watching the North Valley through binoculars as he speaks to Donica on the phone. Saburi. Donica, I think you are in luck. I got the mongrels approaching the North Valley. Cut to exterior. African jungle. Are you sure? Cut to exterior. Grass area. Saburi. Looking through the binoculars. Positive, sir. It's their jeep, all right. And there is a small family of elephants in the thicket. Intercut grass area slash African jungle. Intercut conversation Donica slash Saburi. Great. Just watch. We must catch them in the act. Do you copy? Copy that, Donica. I'll contact the others. I'm on my way. Do not move until they've poached more than one. Document everything. Absolutely. Donica hangs up the phone and turns to Gigon. This has to stop today. Donica and Gigon run to their brown Toyota FJ Cruiser. Gigon lays the sack with the tiger's body down gently in the back. She runs and gets into the passenger side while Donica climbs into the driver's side and the cruiser speeds off. Establishing shot, open African plains. Slow zoom, outside thicket. The mongrel's Jeep Wrangler suddenly slows down to a quiet crawl as they approach the thicket. The Jeep comes to a stop. Close up of Viper, who grows a big, ugly grin. Viper turning to Wardog in passenger seat. You. Flank left. Looking in rearview mirror. Tick, 
You keep an eye out for the warden from the hillside. Tick. With a determined expression. You got it, man. Let's go. Exterior. Inner thicket. Close up of a large pile of peanut butter in the grass, surrounded by trees. A very large elephant trunk enters frame and grabs a trunkful, putting it into his mouth. Another trunk follows, then another, and another. Finally, a cute little baby elephant enters frame to join the party eating the peanut butter like candy. Behind the elephants, in the background, Viper approaches with his rifle. William, 37 male, and Takata, 47 male, are in camouflage coverings, lying in the grass, completely unseen, watching the moment unfold. William. Speaking quietly, with an earpiece. We got hostiles approaching critters to the north and the northwest. Exterior. FJ cruiser speeding through open plains. Close up, Donica in driver's seat. Donica. I'm on my way. Keep me posted. Just observe and nobody makes a move until I get there. The cruiser speeds on, leaving a giant dust trail behind. Exterior. Inner thicket. Viper approaches the herd of elephants slowly, his filthy boots stepping gently on the grass. As he passes, a shrub moves. A small pair of lenses, focused on Viper, become visible from the shrub. Exterior. Top of hill overlooking thicket. Tick is climbing a small hill with a rifle in one hand and a pair of binoculars in the other. The thicket down below is seen over his shoulder. Exterior. Inner thicket. William. Whispers quietly in earpiece. We are running out of time, sir. Exterior. FJ cruiser driving through open plains. Close up, Donica in driver's seat. Donica. I'm moving as fast as I dare. I don't want them to know I'm on my way. Call for backup. William. Whispers. Already did that, sir. Awaiting your orders. The cruiser is driving recklessly over shrubs and rocks as it travels as fast as it can. Exterior. Top of hill overlooking thicket. Close up on tick looking through binoculars. He sees the FJ cruiser in the distance. POV through binoculars. The cruiser speeding along. Tick. To himself. This is not good. Tick pulls out his smartphone and begins typing a text message. Exterior. Inner thicket. Viper is creeping through the trees. He feels his smartphone vibrate and cautiously takes it out of his pocket. Viper. Mumbling quietly under his breath. What? Viper looks at his smartphone. Close up of a text message reads. Warden is coming fast, about 12 minutes away. Abort or proceed? Viper quickly, with one hand, sends a text back. Keep eye out. We proceed. He puts the phone away and keeps creeping forward. Exterior. Hilltop near grove of trees. Saburi runs back to his Jeep Gladiator, tossing the binoculars into the back. He jumps in, starts the engine, and speeds toward the grove of trees. Intercut cruiser slash thicket slash top of hill. Takata. Whispers into earpiece. Any minute now, boss. They are in position. Let them take the shots, then move in and take them. I'm almost there. To Jigon. We're not going to make it. Viper looks at Wardog who looks back and nods. Viper takes aim at one of the huge elephants feasting on the peanut butter. He pulls the trigger. Tick hears a gunshot from the top of the hill and grins. One of the elephants shudders and collapses to its knees, and then to the earth. Wardog begins shooting. Close up of Takata in the trees, watching. He speaks into his earpiece. Whispers. One bull down. A female elephant sees Viper and charges directly at him while the other bulls scurry in different directions. Viper, unafraid, 
stands up and walks back about three paces. With the butt of his gun, Viper strikes a tree branch and a cable springs up between two trees, three feet off the ground. The charging female elephant runs right into it and trips, sliding to Viper's feet. Viper approaches the elephant and shoots it in the forehead. Another shot rings out as Wardog brings down another giant bull. The baby elephant is kicked and knocked around by the other stampeding elephants. One running past William almost tramples him, but William remains still. Takata. Whispers. Three elephants down. I repeat, three elephants down. Move in, move in, before they shoot any more. Arrest them all. Viper walks up to the wounded baby elephant and puts the barrel of his rifle to its head. Say good night, ravey baby. William and Takata jump up, throwing off their camouflage covering. Freeze! Put down that rifle! One move and you're dead! Wardog turns toward William, and the barrel of a very large handgun touches the back of Wardog's ear. Takata! You're thinking about it! Already a bad idea! Viper and Wardog, with angry expressions on their faces, look at each other and drop their rifles. Good job. Wide shot from above as Tick sees the rangers move in. He watches as William hits Viper with the back of his rifle butt, knocking him to the ground. He watches as William and Takata escort the two mongrels out of the thicket with their hands bound. Definitely not good. Tick picks up his equipment and, keeping low, crawls backward down the hill. When he is far enough, he stands and sprints away from the thicket. Exterior. Just outside thicket, day. William and Takata have Viper and Wardog on their knees in the dirt, cuffs on their wrists and arms behind their backs. The FJ cruiser skids to a stop, and in one motion, Donica is out of the vehicle, gun in hand, and running toward the others. Saburi arrives in his gladiator moments later. Saburi jumps out of his vehicle and runs into the thicket. Donica slows and walks right up to Viper. William grabs Viper by the arm and pulls him to his feet. How you doing, Warden? We gotta meet under better circumstances sometime. Where is Tick? He's on vacation. Donica knocks Viper to the ground with a fierce punch. Takata picks him back up. Viper spits blood in spite. Donica, not taking his eyes off Viper. How many? It's the three of them. In Viper's face. You will never kill another animal again. You ain't got nothing on me, just like before. I'll beat the rap and be back out here in a week, business as usual. What makes you think it's over this time? Pointing to the left. Cause we got it all on camera. Viper turns to the left to see Saburi coming out of the trees with a HD DSLR video camera. He looks back at Donica with rage in his eyes. Did we get what we need? Yes, sir. Documented the whole incident. It will hold up in any court. Saburi and Takata, take Wardog back with you and the Gladiator. Don't worry if he is uncomfortable. Viper will be coming with me. William and Jigen, drive Viper's trashy heat back to the compound. Yes, sir. Takata takes Wardog and puts him in the back seat of the gladiator. Saburi and William inspect the video footage on the camera. Jigen walks back to the thicket with Donica to inspect the carnage. Exterior. Inner thicket. The wounded baby elephant lies in the grass, barely conscious. Blood oozes from his forehead. Donica approaches, takes out a cloth and begins to wipe the calf's head. It moves slowly. Jigon and Takata join Donica. It has a badly broken leg. Jigon. Should we put it down? I may be able to place it. Even if you do, it won't survive in the wild without its parents. Donica turns to look at the three fallen elephants, one a female. Not likely. 
Come on, Donica. What are you going to do for it? I'm not sure. Just yet. But Viper has killed enough for one day. Let's see if we can save one. Please, just help me get him into the cruiser. Saburi, Donica, William, Takata and Jigon gently work together to load the elephant calf into the back of the cruiser. Mayaka. Voice over. It took the strength of five rangers to load me into the back of the cruiser. I was 350 pounds at the time. They put my leg in a splint. Jigan made sure I was comfortable and wrapped in a blanket. Jigan wraps the baby elephant in a blanket and closes the cruiser rear doors. Exterior. Open planes. The cruiser speeds across the dirt toward the compound. Interior. FJ Cruiser. Viper is sitting in the back seat with his hands uncomfortably cuffed behind him. What are you keeping the little rat alive for, huh? Gonna nurse it back to hell, raise it, and then set it free so when I get out of this mess, I can find the little runt and finish what I began? You boy scouts, I have to thank you two chums. I love another chance at that flea bag, and you creeps are giving it to me. Say another word and I'll drive to the center of the desert and dump you and let the land kill you. How long do you think you'll survive with cuffs on? I'll tell everyone back at the compound that you tried to escape. Now shut your putrid trap, understand? Viper sits back in his seat, mumbling and looking out the window. Interior. Halbert's therapy room. I was barely conscious, but I'll never forget the last thing Viper said. I have very keen hearing, and I never forget a voice. If I ever hear a voice again, I immediately remember the time, place, and circumstances when I heard it before. Kind of like an elephant never forgets sort of thing? People joke with me all the time about that because I'm always forgetting things. The only thing I really remember well are voices. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's a skill I gained when the whole evolution thing took place. It's hard to explain. We'll get into that a little more later on. Tell me what you remember about this Donica fellow. For a long time I didn't understand Donica. Understand him? Understand why he had to let my parents die. Couldn't Donica have stopped the mongrels before they killed my parents? It was months later that I realized that he had tried to stop Viper and his gang many times. But with the laws nowadays and the loopholes in the system, the mongrels would walk away each time on a technicality. They would get a stiff fine or a slap on the wrist. Lack of evidence. It was them presenting the video footage of my parents getting murdered that actually put the mongrels away for good. They never did find Tick. Poached. I'm sorry? Your parents were poached. You said murdered. Slightly sarcastic. Right. I'm a manimal. I can't use the term murdered. Why? Because I'm not a person? I suppose. How much like a person do I have to do before I can claim my parents were murdered? I mean, I walk, I talk, and I learn. I have to come visit you as a court mandate, but yet I'm still an elephant, right? I apologize, Mayaka. I didn't mean to offend. After your parents were killed, what happened to you? I was badly wounded, and Donica decided to take care of me. He saved my life. Had he not shown up, I would have been killed along with my parents. That set my life on a completely new path. But you said you didn't understand why he let your parents get murdered. I realize now that he needed to catch Viper with his hand in the cookie jar. Yes, it did take me a while to accept that. But now I know he did what was best. Otherwise, Viper would still be out killing animals. You work as a limo driver for Mr. Jessup. 
Is that correct? Yes. Can you tell me exactly how that happened? That is a long story. We have a little time. Please include all the details. Let's begin with how you met Mr. Jessup for the first time. Establishing aerial shot, New York City. Exterior, street alley, morning. Ma Yaka wakes up lying in some trash in a dank, dirty alleyway. He is wearing a leather trench coat and a tan, cricket-style safari hat, and his tusks are not cut short. He looks around, trying to remember where he is or what happened the night before. He stumbles to his feet and walks out onto the street. People, noise and traffic are everywhere. The breeze from a passing alls itself driving hover car blows a flyer into Mayaka's face. Mayaka angrily pulls it away and glances at it. The flyer is for the upcoming Manimals convention. It reads, Hammer Hands Unveiling by Melko Engineering. Quick close-up of flyer before Mayaka wads it up and tosses it into the alley he just came from. Mayaka walks up the street, depressed, looking at the ground, wondering what to do next. He goes to cross the street when a car horn catches his attention. He steps back just as a stretch limousine nearly runs over him. Wow, look at that car! The limo drives past him to the large, fancy, expensive hotel at the end of the street, Mayaka's eyes following it all the way there. Wow, look at that building! Wide shot. New York City Colossal Hotel. Mayaka jogs across the street toward the hotel, this time watching closely for traffic. A rich, middle-aged man, Clint Jessup, 47 male, and his daughter, Sally, 6 female, step out of the limousine. Mayaka approaches Jessup, and two bellhops stand in front of him, blocking his path. Mayaka tries to get the Jessup's attention. Sir, excuse me sir, could I speak with you for a moment please? Jessup. What is it? What do you want? Photos are shown rapidly, two per second for five seconds, each transition coming with a camera shutter click sound. The photos reveal Jessup's backstory from the beginning of the mess and leading up to the present situation, giving us a glimpse of the story that will later be explained, without revealing any spoilers. Look, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, but I was hoping you could help me out. I don't know where else to go. I'm looking for a job. Surely there must be something I can do in your beautiful hotel. Anything. Mr. Jessup leans down and whispers something to his daughter. Standing, he takes a few steps toward Mayaka. He motions to the bellhops to let up, and they step back. You need a job, do you? And you think this is the way to find one? Coming up to me like this? Continuing before Mayaka can answer. And just what do you think makes this hotel so beautiful? Again, the old man cuts him off. Why would people come from all over the world to stay in my hotel? Rhetorical question, my friend. It's because it's run by competent, clean, intelligent people who actually have fingers and do not handle food with their noses. It's because it isn't staffed with a bunch of animals that have fleas and rabies or that bathe in their own filth. So is there a job for you here in my hotel? If there were, then it wouldn't be the beautiful hotel that it is, right? Now, get off my property before I call animal control. Jessup turns his back on Mayaka and starts walking toward the hotel entrance with his daughter. The bellhops shove Mayaka toward the street. Mayaka turns and starts to walk away. The bellhops remain on guard, preventing him from coming any closer to the hotel. A large black SUV with dark tinted windows and a cast iron grill on the front zooms up and smashes right into the limousine, shoving it into the front doors of the hotel. Pieces of the limousine fly, and the car is turned into a twisted wreck. Everyone hits the ground or runs for cover. Three men, Marcus, 38, Hogan, 29, 
and Vivan, 35, jump out of the SUV. The men are dressed in black and are wearing ski masks. They surround Jessup and his daughter and pull out automatic guns. Marcus. Nobody move and nobody will get hurt. You, old man, on your feet now. Marcus puts the gun at Jessup's head. Jessup remains on the ground, covering his daughter protectively. Marcus hits Jessup over the head, and he falls. Hogan and Vivon point their guns around and make sure nobody gets any closer. Marcus grabs the little girl and hands her to the others, who load her into the SUV. The girl kicks and screams in vain. Marcus is threatening to shoot anyone who interferes. The three men jump into the SUV and speed away. People run to Jessup's side to see if he's okay, and others are already on their phones, calling the police. Mayaka's eyes are wide in shock. The SUV drives toward the freeway and enters a long tunnel, where it pulls off to the shoulder. Marcus and Vivon, no longer wearing masks at this point, climb out. Vivon has a tank of water with a hose connected to it and begins spraying the SUV. The water washes off the black color, revealing the true yellow color of the SUV. Marcus begins to unhook the cast iron grill from the front of the vehicle, and it clangs loudly as it falls to the ground. He puts license plates with magnets on the front and rear of the vehicle. Vivon is finished washing the black color off the yellow SUV. Marcus and Vivon jump back inside the SUV and continue their getaway. Police cars with sirens and lights speed past them and a helicopter in the air flies over, not suspecting them in the least. INT. Halbert's Therapy Room, Day. Halbert. I remember hearing about her abduction on the news. Jessup offered $1 million for her return. Yes, the gunman actually demanded $5 million, or Jessup would never see his daughter again. So you actually saw the kidnappers take Mr. Jessup's daughter, huh? I did. How does this story somehow lead to you becoming a chauffeur for Mr. Jessup? At first, working for Mr. Jessup no longer seemed to be an option. I didn't think there was anything I could do about the kidnapping of his daughter. I had other things to worry about, where I would sleep that night, for example. Things were not working out exactly as I had planned. I desperately needed some money. Establishing aerial shot. Central Park early morning. Exterior. Central Park. Mayaka is sleeping on a park bench. He has a piece of cardboard over the top of him as a blanket. There are pigeons all around him and under the bench, looking for scraps of food. A group of three teenagers approach. They are eating burgers and fries from a fast food restaurant. Teenager. Yo! Check this out! <laughs> One teenager grabs a large handful of his french fries and tosses them onto Mayaka. All the pigeons in the area see the food and swarm, by the hundreds, to the fries. Mayaka wakes as hundreds of pigeons appear to be attacking him. He gets to his feet and screams in panic, not knowing what's going on. He tries to wave the pigeons off, but they are relentless. Mayaka runs in fear, trying to get away from the attacking birds. Reaching a safe distance, he stops and looks back, noticing the three teenagers laughing hysterically. He realizes he was part of a cruel joke. Mayaka finds a tree and sits down beside it. He takes his satellite phone out of his pocket. Mayaka looks small and insignificant against the mammoth New York City skyline behind him. A giant LED marquee sign on one of the skyscrapers advertises the Manimal Convention coming soon. Mayaka. January, please transcribe an email message to Donica for me. Ava January, a virtual female woman, appears sitting on grass next to him. She is slightly translucent and looks like a ghost. She is tall, slender, and very attractive. She has an athletic build and shoulder length, red hair. She appears to be in her mid-twenties. Ava January is casually dressed in a red t-shirt, basic black laced-up tennis shoes, and blue jeans that have holes in the knees and thighs. 
Ava January. Russian accent. Sure, no problem. What would you like me to transcribe? Mayaka takes a moment to gather his thoughts. He rubs his forehead with his trunk. He begins to speak. Ava January begins to write as if she is taking notes in an old-fashioned manner. Montage showing the real events of what has been happening in Mayaka's life and how he is mingling with other animals. As he dictates the letter to Ava January, he sugarcoats the success that he hasn't really had. Mayaka describes the city and the experiences he has had. He tries several jobs. Some seem to work well, and others do not. However, he is eventually dismissed from them all for one reason or another. He is treated rudely by employers and people on the street. Usually it's because of his lack of hands or fingers. He only has his trunk, which amounts to one hand. He is passed up for other jobs by animals that are more qualified. One after another, he walks away, apparently unable to perform the task at hand. Mayaka. Dictating to Ava January. Donica, the world is very different here. It is a towering jungle of asphalt and concrete. Everything is so large, and I feel so small. There are buildings everywhere that stretch up into the sky. One day, I will see the city from above while standing on top of one of these buildings. It is good to know that I am one of many mammals that have migrated from Africa to be here. I have several friends, and my life in this society has begun. I have not been able to find a job yet, just because there are so many options to choose from. I'm trying to find the one that will suit me best, and that I will enjoy most. I am learning a lot of new things every day. The people here are very kind and polite, and I'm making new friends. There is so much to see that I often don't know where to look next. Unlike the plains of Africa, everything is crowded and noisy here. Sometimes it's so difficult to move that I can't breathe. There are so many sounds and smells. It takes some getting used to. I am excited to be here. My future is calling to me. I look forward to the experiences that lie ahead. I miss you and want to thank you again for supporting me on my quest to find my destiny. Love, Mayaka. After a short pause, Ava January responds. Would you like me to read your message back to you? No, thanks. Please, just send it. Okay, it is sent. Is there anything else I can do for you? No, thank you, January. Ava January fades away and Mayaka is left sitting alone by the tree. Please continue listening to Manimals, Episode 1, Part 3. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this audiobook please consider leaving an honest review, subscribe and share this program with others. Remember to visit the episode show notes and website, www.melsmanimals.com, for more information on the story, characters, upcoming episodes and about the author.